both thorough and flippant. We are reading our way through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus, Dune, one chapter at a time, because we realized we were running short on content. <laughs> I am your producer, You said editor. the quiet part loud, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a hallmark of our audio engineering, which I should know as our editor, engineer, producer, uh, and... Uh, first amongst equal hosts i'm not i'm definitely last amongst equal hosts but i am your baron harkonnen uh off screen for i think the foreseeable future until uh this tale reaches its climax but i remain a floating globular brightly colored presence in the distance uh my co-hosts this week are josh stevens and lily brisland josh tell us what's up uh I am Josh Stevens, our fearless troubadour, Gurney Halleck of the podcast, uh, recently returned from uh, smuggling fame and uh, once of <laughs> Lvov Groupon fame. I'm here to uh, keep the lights on with uh, the sponsors and uh, remind Lily of all the things that she needs to do for us, too, like uh, have a snack ready. <laughs> keep her the snacks. Tell us about yourself. I'm the Dr. Reverend mother, Lily Gaius am Banana... Brislin Helen. I think I got all the names in. <laughs> I am the aggrieved Reverend Mother, keeper of the water of life, and reluctant bringer of snacks, because it is not my job to make you coffee, okay? And okay. I'm only happy because we have an extra special guest returning to Muaji Fave because he's so good, and we just want to further entrench the idea that all the best ideas actually come from Andrew, not from Josh. Our friend Andrew. Andrew, say hello. Sits Tabor in the house! In the Lanzarad. Returning from the deep deserts, I am I am Andrew, the Stilgar, to this desert saga. <laughs> <laughs> Keeper okay. of worm worm logistics and uh, desert uh, tactics. Yeah, that's what I needed. Yep. Don't don't worry about it, dweebs. We're just a worm on the surface. You will. This week I have uh, I have a few quotes for you. I'm going to start with the uh, the quote in the book, and then we're going to play a little game. Oh, Josh, we're starting. <laughs> <laughs> the first quote, the real quote from this chapter that we're actually reading this week, is: "When law and duty are one, united by religion, you never become fully conscious, fully aware of yourself. You are always a little less than an individual." From Maudib. The 99 Wonders of the Universe by the Princess Zero. Now, <laughs> that had me thinking, we have not seen this book. And I wanted to right. go to some of the more unknown books in the Irulan catalog. And so I'm going to read you a quote. And you're going to try to tell me if you can either remember what the book, what book it came from. Or just pull out of the ether, just from your own due knowledge, the book that it that it was originally Ooh, some deep Irulan Deep cuts. These are some deep deep cuts. Yeah. Just to be clear, you pulled all of these from the ninety percent off rack at the front of the Arakeen Barnes and Noble, right? You know those <laughs> shelves in the entranceway. Yes. Deep okay. clearance, deep cuts. Here we go. <laughs> all right. This quote is: 
And I mean, these are not his best quotes, but I mean, I don't even think all his best quotes end up in here, right? So, um, even when the eyes fail to see, you can turn your eye inward and hear the future. What book does that is that from? Anyone know what book that was from? That manual of Mandeep? Oh, yeah, Ooh, that sounds man- good. Oh, what were you gonna say, Luke? Muad'Dib, the myth, the man. You, 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 you basically nailed it. It's from Muad'Dib, the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> the, by the Princess Irulan. <laughs> nailed it! Wow, you. How did you read my mind like that, Doctor Brislin? Wow. Okay, we, we're gonna do another prescience. one. I'm gonna be amazed if you can get this one too. Okay, I, I, this is incredible. All right, I am a leaf on the wind. I must ride the storm. What book was that? This is back in his Top Gun days. Right. Come on, Boyle, you got this. Oh, that's definitely that's definitely collected sayings of Deep. That was a thing he would frequently say to just people in passing in the no, hallway. No, I mean it's not it's similar to one of his frequent collected sayings. Um, but I I think there might have been a little more wisdom in that one. And I'll give you a hint, it's not from the wisdom of Deep either. It's from a deeper <laughs> cut. Anyone got a, anyone hazard another guess? Lily, you gotta you gotta give us you gotta give another shot at this right, one. I think let me hit me with it one more time. All right. I'm a leaf on the wind. I must ride the storm. I'm going to say Muad'Dib's Hot Summer Jams uh, 204042. Oh, so close. It's from You the Man Now, Deeb, by the <laughs> Princess Hero. <laughs> so th- that was our, that was our uh, segment, Ugg Josh. Can you, can, you, can you send it out, Lily, with a good Ugg Josh? Oh, Josh, that was actually pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for indulging me as I go through. Now, let's go back to the regular quote because I want to talk about the 99 wonders um, of the world. 91, 99 wonders of the universe. Is she saying that Maudib is one of the 99 wonders or more Maudib has like, is now talking about the 99 wonders is and it his becoming fully aware guide? of herself? Is it like, yeah, he what is in, happening in this book? He's the Rick Steves of the late humanity. <laughs> I've read most of her catalog, but I, I actually missed that that one and so i don't know what happens in that book like do you sign up for the muadib deluxe package and you get like spiced coffee in the morning and then like you get a lecture and then the like cabaret show at night on the 99 i don't think it's like a birch i don't think it's like a birch box like it's a book (laughs) no this is his travel guide is this like the the viking tours that's what i'm saying uh, yeah yeah yeah. exactly Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, you know, for the for the boomer faithful. Right, like, once Leto the Saken takes over, he has to hit the cruise racket to pay his bills, to pay for well, his spice Well, and all that, all that worm, the worm safaris, right? We've talked about yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is copy the, from the, the, the Mentat page. It's not, you know, like, this, this is something the Mentats read out when you call the... Okay, so speaking of wonders of the world, I, I've mentioned this before because often I'm drinking, um, I'm drinking mead during some of these shows here, and I get an email from my favorite meadery, and they've been so meadery? I've got like a membership. Meadery? Yeah, they make mead. Yeah, mead, honey wine. You know, okay, M E A D. Yeah. I it was so a me- no, no. So so Shram's mead in uh, they're in like the Detroit area. They um, they make the best mead ever, and so I've got a membership, and they hold bottles in the summer because they can't ship them to you when it's too hot out and so they'll hold them until the fall and so i get this email it's about the the fall hold shipping program and how it's almost time where they can ship us the mead and i'm reading through this email i'm like oh it's environmentally friendly blah 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 and then it says mead shipping credo i must ship mead in fall or spring 
Heat is the mead killer. Heat is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see the path of my mead. Where the heat has gone, there will be nothing. Only mead will remain. And I lost my shit. So I re- had to reach out to them to be like, this is the greatest thing ever. Because this is... Um, the, the CEO's husband that um, that posted this. So James Nager, he he is clearly a Dune fan. I, I messaged him after this. I was like, this is the this this is the greatest thing I've ever read here. Um, <laughs> this is the the litany against um, fear of shipping mead and when it's too hot. And uh, I, did you, I'm in love. Did you invite him on the podcast? I mean, I'm inviting him right now, J- James. If you want to come on the podcast, please. What up, James? Please I'm, I'm going to go up to Michigan in a little, in a couple weeks. I can just so message can him tomorrow. Yeah. I don't think he's listening. I think you should do something more. <laughs> no, I think I think he might listen to this one because I'm going to tell him I did this. Oh. And make okay. him listen. So, James, please, please join us and talk about Dune with us. All right. Maybe time. I'll edit that part out where I say. Here's what which I want to say. Usual MO. I have commented on this before, and despite being a lifelong nerd, I have not been very. Pro- active in nerd culture for various reasons some of them gendered but like man the creativity of nerds is awe-inspiring seriously the fan art has completely blown my damn mind the like ways that you it's like the secret codes you pick up in little places um and just the sort of brilliance and ingenuity and yep uh joyous creation i think is what i want to say like there's no there's no real uh, extrinsic reward. It is totally intrinsic. Like you just get the joy of doing this super fun thing that you take pride in in your crafter and the other things. And I am delighting in it. I find it so it it gives me water of life. It's making me. Oh, well, let's talk I'm about the chapter. The There's a lot of feelings in this chapter. Yeah. Let's get to feelings, guys. <laughs> we, need a, we need a thirty second rundown. Is it going to be? Uh, is it going to be Andrew? Or is it going to be Boyle? Who's doing it? Really a tag oh, team. This, this is all Boyle. Okay, I was like, Andrew, if you want to do it, we'll gladly <laughs> take the guest <laughs> help. But this one's a no, little worried. He makes seconds. this. He makes this look bad. He did the last one so well, and we do them so poorly that uh, no, Andrew, sit down. You <laughs> make us look bad. <laughs> <laughs> So the 30 second rundown of this is that uh, at the end of the last chapter, Paul was like, oh shit, a thopter, and they all jumped off their worm. And then at the start of this, we jump into that thopter, and it is Gertie Halleck looking through his oil-lensed binoculars, which is definitely another one of those ideas that Frank is clearly in love with. Very obsessed with. Um, They survey the scene, they're like... Uh, let's go look at this spice. Um, we got to land and send people out on foot to make sure it's really a spice deposit and not just a trap, which we can talk about that later. Doesn't seem like the best trap avoidance plan, but <laughs> they land. Uh, it turns out was a trap. Paul and the Fremen easily defeat these smugglers, but then Paul's like, yo, Balasset daddy is me. <laughs> the smugglers throw down their weapons Gurney says, uh, there are some people you can't trust amongst my men. Paul's like, oh yeah, fine, whatever. Just take a prisoner without any extra precautions. They all go inside. It's not a siege, but it's sort of a, a forward base, right? They have these, like, one of their, their equipment caches that they have, or stuff caches, right? There's probably, like, a hundred million liters of water underneath, because they just store that everywhere for no reason. Um... And then, well, Gurney and Sand Daddy Stilgar are having a weird, like, I love Paul Moore face-off. <laughs> Turns out those <laughs> oh, guys so that 
those guys that Gurney said he couldn't trust were not trustworthy. Turns out they're Sardaukar. They try to escape. There's another moment where, again, I think Frank overestimates Paul's ability to stop knife fights mid-knife fight. <laughs> but he does it. And then they retake the Sardaukar prisoner. Uh, and then Paul is like, yo, Loki, let them escape. And the nexus of all this knife fighting causes Paul to have a moment where he's like, um, Chani, go get my mom. <laughs> I'm gonna fix this shit. Um, and I have theories about why Paul wants his mom there beyond Paul just being a little so is that boy it? who needs his mommy there. So that and that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, Paul, the, literally, the, like, if it were a TV show, it would have been, Paul would be like, Chani get my mom and then there'd be a musical sting and we'd cut the commercial i mean that would be true if then they didn't have this whole bummer thing about duncan idaho i'm pretty sure that that is before i am willing to believe you but also i don't believe you. i'm telling you he says chani go get my mom at the top of the page on the bottom of the page what about duncan idaho my lord he's dead so sad <laughs> Yeah. And the story. And then, and then, and then, and then Gurney gets to think about how much he doesn't trust. Uh, oh, Jessica that is a thing I legit missed. Is apparently this like, oh, Jessica's to blame for the fall of the Atreides. Just will not die. Oh, so, wait, why does? I'm why sorry. Is did Gurney you think I missed that? it? I let's let's wait to get to that. Okay. Great <laughs> rundown. So let's go back to me. This is a great rundown. You did you did a fantastic job. So this is if this is if earlier chapters were parade of daddies, this is parade of feelings. So we got Paul and Duncan re meet on the sand, and it's a little weird. He's like, Gurney. "You're, oh whatever, daddy." I know it's terrible. Y'all know Com- I don't. Combat know daddy. Combat daddy. Combat daddy. And they they're like, he's like, "You're not dead." And Paul's like trying to play it off. He's like, "I mean, it didn't suit my purposes for you to know I wasn't dead." So shitty, because combat daddy's like hurt he's like i would have come i would have come running for you and then paul looks at him he's like oh and if i came running for you someone would have noticed and then they would have wondered where i went and he's like uh so i'm i was dead to you it just made me sad he's like i would have done anything anyway so many feelings in this chapter it was it was very sweet um i hope that means we'll get a couple more songs by the but so so they're doing these things Here's a, this is just a brief thopter moment. So yes. they're getting yes, ready to go. It? Are you doing it? They're ready to go in and they're going to check it out. Duggan's, um, or Gertie's getting all this. I'm never going to keep this right. Gertie's getting all his people together. And a thopter swooped down nearby, skidded to a stop. Do thopters ever not skid? Here's the question of my day. Do they ever <laughs> not, not skid to We've a stop? We've never seen it. We've never seen a They only skid to a, a stop with a sulfurous smell and like a lot it's of true. It's true. They like to skid to a stop. Um I, I really thought you were gonna go to the first mention of the Thopter here at the beginning of the chapter, where Gurney gives them a little uh, a little signal and then the Thopter waggled its wings to indicate that it had a, it had the signal and then it <laughs> broke away from the swarm. The little Thopter wing waggle, that had me that had me amped for this chapter. <laughs> Andrew, as our military tactical expert, is yeah, a, you go is a wing waggle an appropriate signal in a reconnaissance situation? Well, or is that the advantage of the thopter that it can emote where a helicopter or plane cannot? 
Well, actually, the wing waggle comes directly from fighter aircraft. Like that's like a like, like that's a that's like a normal signal of like, hey, yeah, I got the message, or hey, like uh, you know this move that we just talked about over the radio, I'm about to start. Um, but yeah, that's like yeah, waggling the wingtips is like a universally acknowledged sign of like, hey, I got whatever you're saying. Wow, here we are putting down. Yeah, see. I mean, you were like, not possible. So quirky. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> Just well He's seen a wing wa- Frank saw some wing waggling in his day. <laughs> I'm really glad he threw that in there. That was that was a joy. No, That's but all. I mean, yeah. Go, I mean, going back to the you know the I thought you were dead moment. Yeah. You know, Gurney's like, well, if I came running, people would wonder where I went. Isn't he hiding out from the smugglers? <laughs> Yeah. What's with the smugglers, <laughs> like, right? How, like, how is he able to just, you know, chill with the smugglers on Arrakis being totally, like, I'm going to kill Raban. Right. But, you know, no one knows that he's there with the smugglers, but everyone would know he was no, there I with think, the smugglers. I think people yeah. know he's ball. there with the smugglers, but nobody cares. Uh, right, I think it's... Well, I, I mean, the Sardaukar didn't care. Right. They don't care about Gurney. They were trying to use Gurney to go out into the... Didn't they suggest that it was the new Sardaukar that even suggested right. that he go into the deep but I don't, in the first I don't think right, that... but that's their tactic in general, not just because it was Gurney. Yeah, that has nothing to do with Gurney. That's just, hey, we're trying to get to Moadib. Yeah. Let's find who is likely to take us deepest into the desert. Mm-hmm. Right, it has nothing to do with, oh, we care who Gurney Halleck is. I never really cared who Gurney Halleck was until (laughs) this chapter, and then he had so many feelings. Okay, more feelings. So, they said you were dead, Gurney repeated, and it seemed best to protect, uh, it seemed the best protection to let him think so, Paul said. Gurney realized that this was all the apology he'd ever get for having been abandoned to his own resources, left to believe his young duke, Ellipses. His friend was dead. Y'all. An ellipses and everything. An emotive ellipses. Oh, and then later he says, uh, blah, blah, blah. And Paul and him were talking again. But you stayed. I stayed. Because Raban is here, Paul said. I thought I had nothing left but revenge, Gurney said. He was like, he was a broken man. His duke is dead. His young duke is dead. He can't, that witch that he wants to kill is dead, which is something I'd like to return to later. It's like, it's been 300 pages since he's, since he sang a song. I mean, he's been down. He's depressed. Yeah. Can we go back to this one thing that Gurney said that isn't part of his depression? And this is the, uh, when they get ambushed right at the beginning here. And he says, no, but (laughs) (laughs) no, because I have a thing about Gurney's depression that I want to ask if people want me to bring up, but we can vote it down. Do we want a Sabres of Paradise tie-in? Yeah, do yes. it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So this, the Sabres of Paradise tie-in is that in all these descriptions of Shamal in that book. What's a is, Shamal? Shamal is the the Moadib analog figure. He's the leader of the uh, Caucasian resistance okay. against the Russian invasion, right? And one of the things that they just talk about constantly that I think, again, right, I think Frank had a crush on this idea is that Shamel was in fact very cold and not very personal personable but the strength of his belief was so strong that people around him right according to these retellings people around him de- developed this sort of like 
unwavering to the death loyalty, despite the fact that in a lot of ways, Shamel was kind of shitty to them. And I think he is drawing a Paul parallel. That right? makes, where Paul, that makes, go ahead. No, just where Paul is a total dick to Gurney, but Gurney is like, oh, but he did all of this stuff for these reasons. That's, that's inspiring, right? I mean, I guess people out there in the world find this inspiring. I don't. Right? I'm in the, Paul, why were you mean to Patrick Stewart camp? But, <laughs> but other people are not. Can I, can I ask um, about Paul? <laughs> can, can I ask so, a question? Can I, can I ask a question here about Paul? So we're talking about Paul, the man, the myth, the legend, right? He, Maudib has is like getting this, uh, this reputation for being like the Fremen leader what has he done for them like what is he doing they don't really talk much about his actions other than giving them some a little bit more organization and um mm. and cunning from gurney's perspective right like, right which is the thing i actually was gonna ask lily to get angry about it men just <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, the fact that uh it was it took a white guy for, or uh, sorry an off-worlder to come teach these rubes how to fight and right. fight the tribes. Who were already... They have a military sophistication that he has only seen in the greatest of, of the great <laughs> in all of the fighting that he's done as a man who survived a lot of fights which only the best have survived. Which I don't even mind from the like imperialist, racialist perspective. I just mind it from a literary perspective. Like, make up your mind, Frank. <laughs> Are these people the greatest fighters in the history of the universe? Or do they need the Atreides? Like, here's I feel question. like there's no wanna, internal consistency. I want to pose this to Andrew. So here's my hypothesis, and you have a much more... I do not have a tactical mind. Is it that they are better... That, that Gurney is seeing an improvement, or is that he sees familiar tactics and thinks, oh, they're better now because they're doing things that are familiar to me as, to, as opposed that. to the... As opposed to the like erratic, unpredictable frame in which they were doing fine before with that strategy. You know what I'm saying? I'm comfortable with that um, explanation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would definitely agree. And I mean, and that's always been, you know, that's not necessarily a colonialist thing. I mean, that goes back to all the way back to like the Crusades, where you know the Franks show up in full armor and absolutely beat the snot out of the local Muslims who are used to, you know, desert fighting with no armor on horseback. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there are different there are different ways to fight, and you know, Gurney see just seeing like, oh, they've stopped all these guerrilla tactics and are using you know modern ambush style stuff that I would plan. You know, somebody has influenced them. Somebody has changed the way they're thinking. Um, and you know, whether those, I mean, going back to, you know, the moves were doing pretty good against the Russians before we gave them stingers. But once we gave them stingers, they were really fucking shit up for the Russians. <laughs> uh, just for you know, just to bring it forward, you know, a century or a, a millennia. Yeah. Um, Which is funny because in this chapter, the Atreides give the Fremen or convince the Fremen to start using rockets to shoot down. Right. Uh, well, that was Harkonnen my next doctor. That's yeah. what I was bringing up. But but what's really f- extension? Oh, but this book was written. Right, 25 years before anybody actually had that conflict in Afghanistan. Mm. So that's just kind of interesting. Well, I mean, we hadn't seen you know, helicopter years, usage but... in, Viet- like in Vietnam to the level that it became. But 
I mean, RPGs were a thing already by that point. Ah. So, I mean, like the, like the, you can kind of put two and two together. Like, hey, you know, we have these bazookas and rocket-propelled grenades. You know, 100,000 years from now, they can totally hit moving targets. (laughs) Sure. You just need to to put a little Mentat brain. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's a Mentat riding each rocket. There it is. It's, yeah, it's or at least uh, the strings on that. At least Strange a highly trained bat. Yeah, I was at, yes, exactly. Doctor Strange on the ending. It's the cowboy riding yeah. it in. I like Alex's <laughs> idea of the bat better. A mentat bat, a, a bat yeah. cat. A bat tweaking out of its mind on the juice of Sappho is just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so logical. <laughs> Are you batty? Yeah, bat tat. Oh I love it. no. Okay, so yeah, there's no, I, I definitely think it's I think it's tactics that Gurney recognizes. Like, I, oh I like shit! That explanation a lot, uh, but still, what the fuck has Paul done for them other than be the Maudib that they've been waiting for? It's a great and, question, Josh. No, no, no. They've already got the water system. They're already doing the thing with the planet. That's you're, you're right, and Paul says it. Paul said it two chapters ago. They don't need me. They don't need me. Right? right, the the best thing I could do for them winning this war would be to get eaten by this fucking worm. That's true. This so is the Hitler, to, or he ain't he ain't doing shit other than be a figurehead. He's just the guy they've been waiting for. He's the impetus. To rally he, yeah. Well, it's the he's the confirmation that everything that they've been doing is correct. Mm. Oh, because he's the answer to their prophecy. So if the answer to the prophecy shows up, then everyone who believes it is like, we're fucking right. Yeah. That's the great thing about Dune Spiracies is that is it just it's confirmation bias and you're like, we're right, yeah, no, look, you could put some crazy Dune on anywhere out there on the Mentat web and and if you're you can find confirmation <laughs> of your crazy Quetzat Hatter Spears. This is good, Andrew, you nailed it. Yeah. I like to imagine that the Mentat web is just like um Mentats at a bunch of like on top of a bunch of like prayer towers, you know, and bring, and really right? Just like screaming at each other across the town square. Yeah. When, speaking of the the mentat, what did you call it? The mentat web or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's our our um, our sponsor this week um, is is big into the mentat web. They're um, Seach Recruit, and uh, Seach Recruiter has a little message here for our listeners. Uh, do you have spice to harvest? Do you need a crew for the deep desert? When you need to hire someone, it can be really tough to find those dune dudes with the right experience. Who has the time to read resumes and interview every water fat candidate just so you can go eventually teach them all about water discipline and not activating your shield out in the erg? It's time to go to ZeechRecruiter.com and post to over 100 of ZeechRecruiter's Mentats. Let their intense computational power help you select the best candidates for your hiring needs. Seach Recruiter eliminates the Sardaukar and Harkonnen agents, bringing you the qualified candidates often on the first day. Try Seach Recruiter today for free and use the promo code DWEEBS for an extended free trial. <laughs> Thank you, Seach Recruiter. That's such a good deal. Seach Recruiter, can we get one of you to be our coordinator? Because we need help getting our shit together. Our Seach together, excuse me. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad they found us. Gosh, I could use help around the CH. You know, and I heard that they're starting a complimentary service um, for matchmaking for all the widowed Fremen and their children <laughs> who have to, um, who were chosen as servants, not as wives. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's up and coming. So stay tuned. Keep an eye out. Okay. I'm on it. I'll do it. 
Amazing. Yeah, okay, what do they call Ganema? No. Is no, it's yeah. fine. This no, is, I'm gonna edit this out, but Ganema is the like property so, captured in battle. It's pronounced Hanima. Oh, okay. What? I like that. Hanima. Is this a uh, Josh? Is this Han- a- sorry? I'm sorry. Actually, it's actually the. It's, Hanama is how he, how they pronounced it. It's, Who uh, is the they? Is this it's a an Ara- it's an Ara- it's a, no it's an, it's actual like Arabic word for spoils of war. Hanama. Yeah, Frank just doesn't like to italicize his foreign words. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Frank Frank pronounces it Ghanim. Oh really? Yes. That's hysterical. But you're siding with the actual pronunciation. Well, I was listening to the guy who's doing the video oh, saying okay. that this comes from the an Arabic word Hanama. Hanama. Yeah, which I thought was cool. All right, so what about some more actual content in this chapter? Here's some here's some more feelings. I feel like you men are systematically avoiding, like digging the great depths of feeling in this chapter. So, uh, oh, Gurney, we've turned our inner eye inward, and yeah. there's nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> just a just a tiny little ball of hate. <laughs> It's fed on. I mean, so I mean there's, a li- there's a little bit of ornithopter love, but in worm love, what else? I mean, like... So they, Gurney and Paul get back together. He introduces them to Stilgar. He makes them touch hands. He's like, Desert Daddy, it would be really nice if you and Combat Daddy could touch hands and make nice. And they're like, uh, fine. <laughs> That's like, exactly what happened. <laughs> like, cool, cool. Here we go. Into the siege. As soon as they get in, all hell breaks loose. Paul introduces a nice fight, as Alex says. And then. He talks with Gurney some more. So we get through the fighty, fighty, fighty. And uh, Paul's, like, assessing the situation. And he says, Too bad we couldn't have saved that carry-all. And Gurney <laughs> looks at him. The patches of smoke debris in the desert. Yes. Brought down by Fremen rockets. He's like, Paul just killed my doom dudes. He killed my friend. Um, he felt a sudden Your pain dad. for the men lost there. He says, Your father would have been more concerned for the men that he couldn't save. And he cuts, he cuts at Paul like only a du- like a parade of daddy's dad can, right? Like he knows him. He's like, yeah. and we know this to be true. This isn't just a claim because it is true that while Duke Duke Leto was mad about the waste of ornithopter inventory, he was primarily concerned with the men. And this is a really good bit of writing where it's like, Paul is full on inventory. He's like, well, take one off that. Good. Mm. I was a little sad about the carryall too. <laughs> <laughs> that's where my inner feelings lie um, i mean my my take on that was that's the first time that gurney kind of realizes paul is not the old dude uh, yeah. and they may not and that as much as he loves paul he may not see eye to eye with the man paul's become that's a good point but then they have a moment a couple of um, pages later where they're talking about the Harkonnen, and it's like that kind of giddiness you can only get with a friend where you have the same enemy, where they're like, oh, what's the Harkonnen oh, yeah. doing? He's like, oh, they're like hunkered down in their in their towns, blah, blah, blah. And so Gertie's giving him the tea, and then Paul goes, in a word, they're immobilized. Well, you can go where you will, Gertie said. It's a tactic I learned from you, Paul says. And so they're like, hey, 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 stupid Harkonnen. So they, there's still that... Good old Atreides hubris, where they're like, stupid Harkonnen. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, um, it's like they're putting, hey, hey, hey. It's cute. I, I like this part here where um, Gurney gets to see the Fremen uh, diverting that sandworm. 
and then uh, and then Paul gets to tell him there's one of the things you shouldn't have seen. I thought that was a really uh, a really fun part there. Yeah, that is that is kind of like a nudge nudge, like letting you in on the secret. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're a lot we're a lot more equipped than you think we are. But also, yeah. Paul is saying. Technically, I should kill you for what you've seen, right? Like, he's also yeah. being a dick at the same time. Is he? I think he's... I, I figured he was going to have Gurney come with him, right? I mean, or he thinks Gurney's going to come with him? No, I think he is. But he's also saying, like, hey, from... doesn't matter how Paul means it or Gurney takes it, right? He is saying, from mm. this point on, you have seen things that we kill non-Fremen for seeing. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Right, sure. so if I decide to kill you at any point, I can be like, "Sorry, guys, he saw us steer a worm." Yeah, gotta kill yeah, him. Like, yeah, if, right if at any that. point Gurney's like, "Hey, I am not down for where this is going," <laughs> Paul's gonna be like, "All right, dude." Yeah. See ya. The door, and by the door I mean the dead. the juicer. <laughs> yeah. Paul, who not only looks, <laughs> Paul, who not only looks like his father two years later, right? Gurney almost uh, mistook him for his father when he first took off his uh, his filter. Then gets to say, you heard my father speak of desert power. I know, I did. Now Paul's bringing in the desert power. <laughs> he was like, check out my worm action. So uh, it feels like a kid like being like, I got this sweet new four-wheeler. Like, you know, like, oh, that? Oh, my desert power? That is not a transition they're going to be able to pull off in the... <laughs> There's no way Timothy Chalamet pulls off a face mask and you're like, was that Oscar Isaac? <laughs> not unless oscar isaac shaves before he dies right mm, and and then de-ages by or, 20 years it, and gets much do, prettier do glue a beard to chalamet yeah <laughs> yes i think you need to do both of those things i just don't think they're gonna bother that's where i'm gonna go yeah. with that's my theory yeah, that's, my, it's, it's not necessary I, yeah i don't, I don't think we're gonna get like a three-year time jump Okay, one last Gurney feelings moment, because there's not a lot of feelings, and then we can talk about the end of this chapter. This is after their nice, like, oh, no, we're still buds, like, the stupid Harkonnen, see, that's our thing. I don't know what you have with Stilgar, but, like, our thing is thinking the Harkonnens are dumb. Um, <laughs> our enemy is exactly what, well, you want him, Gurney, do you enlist with me for the finish of this campaign? Okay, Gurney feelings alert. Enlist? Mm. Gurney stared at him. My lord, I've never left your service. You're the only one left me to think you dead. And I, being cast adrift, made what shrift I could, waiting for the moment I might sell my life for what it's worth, the death of Raban. An embarrassed silence settled over Paul. And then yeah. women walk in. It's just like awkward silence. Gertie lays that, that is the most vulnerable, heartbreaking, like, oh. And then Paul's just like, um. <laughs> No, he says, this, Johnny, this is the Gurney ha- This is Gurney Halleck. You yeah, he's like, oh, good, Johnny's here. Babe, come here, come here, come here, come here. <laughs> come here, you gotta meet this guy. I've told you all about him. <laughs> Babe, save um, me. Okay, so they touch hands, they fight. Okay, we got a, things we got I want to talk strategy about. strategy thing. I got things I want to talk about, too. Okay, you here's go what first, I want to talk about. But so I, they, I'm getting my shot. They fight the Sardaukar, right? And they're like, we didn't know. It's like they pulled knives out of nowhere. And I'm thinking Paul's going to be pissed. Like, I told you that there were untrustworthy people in here. Did you not check their pockets? Did you not do it? And Paul is unbothered. He's like, no, uncharacteristically, Paul. He's like, it's fine. They are super tricky. I didn't tell you guys about it. And I really am just excited that we get to all of the things on their bodies. So they've got, it's my fault, Corba. I should have warned. They've got 
a false toenail or two that can be combined with other, other items to create a transmitter. They'll have more than one false tooth to teeth. And they carry coils of wire in their hair. With the Sonicar, you must scan them, scope them, reflex and hard rate, cut off every scrap of body hair, and then still be sure that there's like something you've missed. Damn. But wasn't the whole trick... So that's super fun. Wasn't the whole thing with the tooth with UA that like, oh, they'd never check a... How would... How would we know that the Sardaukar have them. That's Wouldn't someone like, be checking teeth? Yeah. The tooth! Yeah, no one knows about the tooth. Would, would someone of nobility... Like, it, it, would that be a routine thing for nobility to be like, you know what, I need a cyanide capsule in my teeth just in case I get captured by my mortal enemy. I mean, if you're offering one, I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one man alive that knows about the tooth, and I don't even think he realized what the hell was going on. No, I'm saying No, the but Sardaukar if the Sardaukar a... have murder teeth, yeah. and this <laughs> is a society that's obsessed with checking everybody for every possible, they probably have a word for poison hidden in your tooth. Yeah, like, right? It's tooth murky. Tooth murky, yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. Um, Denta murky. Well, not not to mention the Fremen have been fighting the Sardaukar for several years at this point. Like, wouldn't they think to check all prisoners? Maybe, well, maybe they kill all the... They've killed all previous Sardaukar. They don't take prisoners. True. Yeah, they don't take yeah. them back to the CH. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, you're right. You know, when you were talking about the tactic that, um, that Paul said he learned from Gurney, did we talk about exactly what that was? I don't think we did. Okay, go ahead. Um, and it actually I'll allow isn't it. Even, it. So it isn't even really a tactic so much as that he asks Gurney about what's like the talk of Raban and the sinks and villages. And like, oh, they fortified the shit out of the Graben villages to the point where you can't even harm them. Uh, they say that they need only sit inside their defenses while you wear yourselves out in a futile attack. Um, and then Paul's like, yeah, they're mobilized and we've got the initiative. That means they've lost the war. Uh-huh. Uh, does that mean they've lost the war? Because this isn't in italics, but I kind of feel like um, Paul has a tendency, but Paul's family has a tendency to uh, outthink them. I, ha- I think, um, I, and I don't have any stance on the, right, the actual, like, imperialist history of fortified versus mobile forces or whatever. I think that from a literary perspective, uh, we're in book three now, and the <laughs> rules are different. Mm. <laughs> okay. Interesting. And Paul's not as fallible as his family. I just think, yeah, um, the the old tendency to uh, to get arrested development is okay. is over. I mean, he says our enemy is exactly where I want him. Here's what I will say: I think from now on, the person most likely to own Paul is Paul. Mm. <laughs> Alrighty. All right. I like his being a little too smug and all-knowing. I wish y'all could see <laughs> really? the visual of him. He's got like I'm a in. little pen as this like all-knowing cigar. You could be sort of like, I'm just telling you, kids. I've been around the block here. I've been around the erg a few times. <laughs> okay, so we're at getting towards a wrap-up, we learn there's some there's some foreshadowing at the end here where they start talking about um, spice, right? So... I don't know, they're talking about Raban, they're talking about the spice, and the Harkonnens control it, Gurney says. The people who can destroy a thing, they control it, Paul says. And so I think we've got some foreshadowing. I'm vaguely remembering from the movie that, like, uh-oh, spice cartel. It's in danger, so I'm excited about that. 
Maybe you all remember more than I do. I'm sorry, I'm stumbling so much. And then it wouldn't be a Dune chapter if we didn't round it out with a, with a nice lanyap of patriarchy. So when you want to talk about that, let's talk about it. But there's other things you want to talk about. Let's do that first. Well, you just made me realize we never asked Andrew how he feels about Dune 1984. <gasps> mm. I can't believe we let you through the sphincter <laughs> without... <laughs> yeah. Um, let's do that thing. So I'm not particularly a fan. Um, Go on. In a world where Robert Downey Jr. and Johnny Depp and um, what's-his-face from uh, Kiefer Sutherland, like that generation of actors is is just getting their start in Hollywood. They've been in movies right around 83, 84 when they're casting for Dune. How did none of those guys get picked to play Paul? And Kyle McLaughlin, who eternally looks 40 <laughs> until he lo- eternally looks 60, get picked to play Paul, a teenager. Um, much less Sting being picked to play Fade. Um, Sting is the perfect then... Fade and you'll never convince me otherwise. <laughs> I 100% agree. Um, I, I mean, I am a little worried about the new movie that they haven't announced a Fade. It's quite the scuttlebutt. I've been, 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 been super in into almost every other role they've picked out in the now. But it's our favorite fan it. casting. So we have our theories. Andrew, who would you cast? Um, honestly, I like the I like the kid that they had originally that there were a lot of rumors out, and then they came back and said, "Oh no, it's not him. It was the guy from uh, Ready Player One." Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, Ty, I think it's Ty Sheridan. I think is his name. I don't know at all, but yeah. Yeah. We know Lily doesn't know who that is. It's true. I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I mean, I I had seen some of like the he had been in a movie like called uh, I think Kings of Summer, um, like a good like late teenage coming of age story. Um, You're all wrong, Andrew. Really it's got to yeah. the the rules of this game are it has to be a musician that makes shit weird. Okay, so it's oh oh okay okay okay. <laughs> I let you flounder um, for a while, but now it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> contemporary musician, come actor, who are you casting? The Weeknd. <laughs> That's who I said should do the soundtrack, but we were trying to figure out who would be the replacement for the soundtrack band. Yes. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, oh my oh god, yeah. here's yeah. my new one. Danny Glover. Donald Glover? Donald Glover. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's freaking weird. He's he's, he's very good. He's a little old, but he can play young pretty That's well. That's why he's the perfect yep. Sting parallel, right? Baron's <laughs> nephew, like, does unsettling, like, alternately charismatic and then, like, really unsettling at the same time. Oh, I'm I'm into this. Donald Glover now. I, okay. I actually prefer... Uh, the Danny, Danny Glover. Glover. <laughs> because all, all I can think... Now all I can think about is, like... <laughs> No, Danny, 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 Danny Glover as as Fade, um, but you have to do it at the end of the books. Like you can do like Donald Glover early, but then you get to see like an old Fade, and Fade's like, "I'm getting too old for this shit." Like, <laughs> <laughs> so no, that's what he says right before the knife fight. Yeah, I'm getting too old. Yeah, because he's already been he's already fought like hundreds of people. Oh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really embarrassed that I can't keep memes straight, and I did that, and I hope that <laughs> it was the greatest thing you've ever done. <laughs> but back back to back to the nineteen back to Lynch's Dune. Yeah, please, um, please distract from my shame. The, the other thing, it's like 
you know, Star Wars came out, the original Star Wars came out six years before this movie. How do we get weird boxes for shields? Oh, I love that, that you part. can't see them moving in. Um, other and then, so that bit, like the the special effects are like, like you guys could do better than this. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is, you know, Dune is essentially it's a sword and sandals epic set in sci-fi future. Why do you have to create noise guns? As part of the plot. Cha. <laughs> so good. Well, they didn't do enough enough of that weirding shit. Yeah. There wasn't enough. He he didn't know how to how to get the the weirding to be weird. Yeah. I, like that's what I'm guessing is Lynch is just like I don't know how to shoot action sequences, so this is what we're gonna <laughs> roll the, with. But the navigators, my man. I know. The navigators. So. Yeah. My point on the weirding stuff is I think that the problem there is that the weirding in the book. Is just too in between. Yeah. Right? It's either you have to either ditch it or make it bigger, right? And yeah. Lynch chose to make it bigger, possibly on a studio note, right? Like, who knows? But mm, but you can't yeah. leave it the way it is in the book in a movie. It just doesn't translate. Yeah. But I mean, I, I found the book first. Uh, the, the person who introduced me to the book actually loves the movie, and I do enjoy its campiness. Yeah. Um, and I, I do, like, I think that's the, that's the secret to humanizing, like, you know, sci-fi sagas. Is it's got to have just a little bit of camp to it. We were talking about this in a previous episode, Andrew, of, like, how uh, current contemporary films don't have much room for shtick or camp or a little bit of razzle-dazzle, you know, if you yeah. will. And that there's something lost there. Like, we're talking about, like, magic and spice and planets and spaceships. Pew, pew, pew. Like, it can't yeah. be too serious. You gotta get a little bit of buy-in. Yeah. yeah there's and gotta be, the yeah, pug, there's gotta the be a pug in battle. I mean, come on, pug in battle. You're yeah. not gonna get that. That ties in, well, I was just, like, it's just as, as a collection of gothic images, Lynch's dude is pretty unparalleled, right? Like, including the oh, pug yeah. into battle. Yep. Right? And, oh, like, the, the fucking um, Fritz Lang's Metropolis second stage guild navigator going up with his crazy microphone. Oh, I loved it so the much. The third stage navigator. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. With his crazy trench coat all buttoned up to the top the button. Which must leave. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite parts of the movie. It's so good and weird as hell. All right, so let us close out with a bit Wait, of toxic masculinity. A- is there is there an interesting like um, mashup with the anarchists and the Big Lebowski and some of the guild navigators? Because I feel like there's a like a look parallel there between some of. Them. You mean the Devo knockoffs and the guild <laughs> navigators? Yeah, the. Uh... I'll let it stand. Yeah. I'll let it stand. <laughs> I mean, anything I can the Big Lebowski is is better because that that's all time fave right there. Love it. <laughs> all right, so Gurney's finally reunited with his baby Duke. And he's so happy, so overcome with emotions, and he's like, "Oh, Jessica still lives. That witch, the she witch alive." Gurney thought, "The one I swore vengeance against, alive." And it's obvious Duke Paul doesn't know what manner of creature gave birth to him. The evil one betrayed his own father to the Harkonnens. It took him a hot second. He went from like just being so thankful to be reunited with Paul to like as soon as he learns Jessica, he is right back on the trip. Wow. I How did Gurney get to that conclusion? Because because it's the Duke's fault. 
right? The yep. Duke led everybody who wasn't Thufer and Paul to think that he thought Jessica was a traitor. And even well, Thufer still thought. Thufer still thinks that she is. Right, because they it was Thufer's yeah. theory. Right, Cooper was like, I think she's the traitor. Leto was like, I don't think so, but all right, fine, you're right. I mean, and the Harkonnens have the Harkonnens have put out basically since it happened that Jessica was the traitor. That's what plays in the Landstrad, not oh hey by the way we broke this unbreakable doctor. You want to say it, Alec? The <laughs> totally breakable doctor. Yeah, no, so, but the conditioning is a lie. <laughs> right, but that's fine. Andrew can agree or disagree with that. But the point is, the Lonsrod believes it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Andrew's totally right. At no point did I claim the Lonsrod didn't think Zook's school conditioning was real. I just don't think it's real. <laughs> the she witch alive, with while those she betrayed are bones in lonesome graves. I must contrive it that Paul learns the truth about her before I slay her. So if he believes in Paul and he believes in leadership, but he doesn't believe Paul could know the truth about his mother. And so now we've got a snake in their midst. Oh, Alec gave me the, the ah uh, finger. Because he did spend the last three pages basically having feelings about Paul betraying him and also talking about how his only reason to live these days is vengeance. So it makes sense to me, at least, that he would immediately slot back into vengeance. Mm. Especially given the fact that Paul is like, yeah, I didn't really care if you lived or died. Sorry, I gotta go write this one. Well, just yeah. one, except there's one problem. Gurney thinks that Jessica's responsible for killing Leto and Paul. But Paul's him finding alive. Paul alive should be a red flag of, hey, right, something's yeah. not right in the stories I've been told. G- Gurney's no Mentat. <laughs> True, Gurney's not a Mentat. You see, this Andrew's got the good insights here. Yeah, shit. Yeah, that's real. That's actually See, I would have gotten to come back with that next time. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, please, next week... Just come back with all of Andrew's thoughts and be like, oh, I have these notes from last week. <laughs> <laughs> then just say everything Andrew said. Yeah, no one will remember. All right, Josh, it's now time for your one more thing. Um, I've got one more thing. Oh, Here you go. Yeah. You don't get one, Shut Josh. him down. Shut yeah. him down. Lily touched on it just a second ago, talking about Fade being the Baron's nephew. Yeah. And I was thinking about it this week, like, okay, this is a feudal hierarchy. And the Baron doesn't want to have kids. So he's like, okay, I'll just pick one of my nephews. Where is the Atreides extended family? Where is like, the Atreides extended family? Are they just a series of, are they just a series of, you know, single children? Shouldn't like, there be a, like a third cousin of, of, of Leto on the, like, on the ducal throne at this could point? Be plan- could be planned by the Bene Gesserit. It totally could, because that also I mean, brings could, me yeah. into the implausible longevity of the Carino dynasty, right? Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense if it's a naturally occurring dynasty. On the other hand, if the Bee Gees are pruning the bush, works Andrew, out a little better. I have better. never thought about this. Where is Auntie Duke? Where is, like, Uncle Uncle Duke Duke? Where is... Because huh. yeah. they're... Yeah, like, the, yeah, the, Duke the had Harkonnens no... have... He had have no brothers? extended family yeah. to take over the, the family business. And the Atreides are up here like, one child alone, <laughs> that's all you get. <laughs> it's never occurred to me before I am now. Wondering, I am wondering how the Bene Gesserit missed the fact that Jessica, being a Harkonnen, and being with the Duke, that their offspring would already have merged the bloodline. 
Why would they have to go through the step of having them have a daughter to merge them with Fade to merge the bloodlines if they already have a Harkonnen and the Atreides together? Well, maybe it's not the Harkonnen blood they need. Maybe it's Fade's other relatives that we never hear about. Hmm. Could be, yeah. or maybe it's right. Maybe never it's catch him Leto's, slipping, Josh. Leto's mom, right? Andrew's yeah. like two steps ahead of us. No, well, that's why. I get that's all. Why you asked him while he was here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would have had some comments that I asked you guys, and you were like, "Oh, I don't know." And then I'd be like, "Oh, hey, I got the answer to that question. That awesome question I asked last week." <laughs> Andrew uh, wrote in to say this is awesome shit, and then I would have sounded great again two weeks in a row. And now, now I just sound like an idiot. I'm going to close this out on a Worlds Collide. So it, what Paul is realizing that like anything he does is going to be blown up in legend. Uh, like, oh, they'll, you know, they'll say that I... Give it to me. Give me that I, Worlds Collide. I didn't even draw my knife, but it'll be said that I slew 20 Sardaukar in my own hand. Do y'all read the King Slayer trilogy, the Name of the Wind, um, What a Wise Man Fears? Josh, how many times has Lily asked us this? Probably every we week. Try, we, tr- we try. <laughs> I keep, that, I keep... Andrew, have you read them? I have not, um, but I feel like she keeps asking you, assuming that at some point you'll catch the catch her drift and actually read it. <laughs> oh, is that why she keeps asking us? Yes. Oh, not because man. I lost all short-term memory, and I don't actually listen to your answers because I know you're going to say no. But this is a great quote. <laughs> quote the um, the bloodless quote the anything. Okay, fine. Read some damn books. I'll see you guys finish it up that's it it's just that like there's this great trope with like larger than life characters that like the myth is the thing that's derived that's not I don't know just how like even in the moment these these people who are stepping into roles that they know are monumental know that their actions will be distorted by history and both their missteps and their victories will be sort of spun out into mythological proportions it's a little thing I I got a question for you though Okay. Does Paul want to be a mythical figure? Is he Achilles? I think Paul would say that's like it's his terrible purpose, and he terrible he would purpose. say that he has no yeah, like, choice. Like, I mean, like he's known, he's known, like okay, if I continue down this path, it's going to be this terrible, terrible future. But he never allows himself to die or you know distort that future. But anyway, he's like okay, well, I guess this is this is the least harmful version of that. But I'm still going to be a legend. <laughs> My mom is my enemy. You remember you brought that? My mom is my enemy thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then just kind of fell fell by the wayside. He, he never brought it up again. Almost like the thoughts of a fifteen year old boy. <laughs> oh. Man, nailed it. Yeah, but that that quote that you brought up on that worlds collide definitely would go in that uh, that haughty shit that Deep said. Haughty <laughs> shit. <Yes. laughs> that is my, my favorite, favorite Deep Princess Rune book. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Back, back before back before she joined Team Atreides, <laughs> just haughty shit that Paul says. I'm still not convinced that she's on Team Atreides. She's like the uh. reluctant in law. All right, Josh, this is the last chance. You got your one more thing because I think we've come to a natural conclusion here. No, I'm good. All right. All right, this was great, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us. You, yeah, thank you infinitely so elevated the level of our discourse. <laughs> well, bringing me down a peg. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> <laughs> Later, nerds. <laughs>